This morning's reading is taken from the book of Exodus in chapter 15 and beginning at verse 22. And for those of you who have a copy of the Church Bible, it can be found on page 73. The waters of Mara and Elim. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they travelled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Mara, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Mara. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a real ruling and instruction for them, and he put them to the test. He said, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before I begin, let's pray. Oh, we pray that you will teach us from your word today. Give us listening ears and obedient hearts that we might meet with you, Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals. Amen. A few years ago, David and I walked the length of the Thames Path, all 186 miles of it, from the source in the Cotswolds to the Thames Barrier in London. And we felt pretty proud of ourselves for achieving it. But there was one thing that made it massively easier. And that is that the path along the Thames is almost entirely flat. This summer, I walked a couple of stretches of the southwest coast path, and it was a very different experience. Uh, there were times when I felt that I was spending all my time going up and down hills without making much progress along the coast at all. I think that the reality for most of us on our lives' journeys is that they more closely resemble the southwest coast path than the Thames path in their ups and downs. In fact, for some of us, our lives might feel more like being on a roller coaster, going round and round with headlong risings and plungings that we can't control. I do hope that that's not true for very many of you here, if anyone at all. Um, but in that, the reality of our, our sometimes difficult lives, um, who is God for us in those difficult times as well as the easy times. In our scripture passage today, he's called Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals. And I'd like to explore a little today more of what that might mean for us. 
The Israelites' flight from Egypt to the land that God promised them in Canaan was certainly rather more like a roller coaster than the Thames path. Only three days before our story today unfolds, God had delivered them from the pursuing Egyptians in an amazing way. He'd parted the waters of the Red Sea and he'd led them safely through. And we read in the previous chapter that they put their trust in God and Moses and they praised him. They praised God in song. But now they were in the desert and they had the opposite problem. They actually needed water to survive. Rather than having too much of it, they didn't have any at all. And their joyful confidence in God was soon dashed when they came to the oasis of Mara and they found that the water was bitter. The Israelites had very short memories. In no time at all, they were grumbling against Moses and implicitly against God. Because when things go wrong, actually it can be very easy to lose perspective and just let the situation, the immediate situation, drag you down. But I'd like to compare, just draw your attention to the comparison between the people's reactions to the setback and that of Moses. The people grumbled. Moses didn't grumble. He cried out for help to the Lord. And when he did that, God showed him a solution to the problem. Now, oasis wells were often bitter due to dissolved mineral salts in them. They were very unpleasant. They could be very unpleasant to drink. They were not necessarily toxic. Now, we don't know whether this was a, a supernatural healing of the water or whether God showed Moses a piece of wood from an aromatic shrub whose flavor would mask the water's bitter taste. However it happened, though, God acted to heal the water for the people, to make it drinkable. It was a grace-filled act on the Lord's part, and it was an act despite the people's grumbling and lack of faith. Bitterness was turned into sweetness in response to Moses' cry for help. And it's into this context which God spoke his name, Yahweh Rapha, I am the Lord who heals you. Essentially, in verse 26, God says to the Israelites, follow me, trust me, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now, I wonder, how would you define health? What, what do you understand by healing? Um, I think that the, the minimum definition of health is the absence of disease. It's a purely physical approach, and it's one that actually has prevailed in British healthcare until comparatively recently. It's fine as far as it goes, but it doesn't always go far enough. In fact, I'd venture to say it never really goes far enough. Um, the WHO defines health as a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. That's much broader and better, but there's still something missing because it ignores the spiritual. 
the New Testament refers to three different but interrelated aspects within each of us, three parts of us that go up to making us human. Our bodies, our physical beings, our minds, our mental and emotional beings, and our spirits, our spiritual beings. And together, they make up the whole person. That's what it means for being, by being human. Now, things can go wrong in any or all of those areas. For example, a person with an acute back problem will certainly experience pain in their body. They may also experience a profound anxiety in their minds as to what the cause of the problem is. And that combination of pain and anxiety may also make them feel distant from God in their spirit. Ill health isn't just physical. It can arise from fractures and faults within our bodies, our minds, or our spirits. And ill health affects our relationships too. Our relationships with ourselves, our mental health, with others, and with God. And so, for Christians, if healing is a movement towards health, then healing will embrace all aspects of our humanness, body, mind, spirit, and relationships. Healing in a Christian context is more about wholeness than cure. Catherine spoke last week on the topic of Yahweh Shalom, the Lord who gives peace. Shalom means much more than the absence of conflict. It too involves wholeness, well-being, vigor and vitality in all the dimensions of life. The biblical concept of shalom links health with wholeness. And it's actually quite closely connected with the healing that Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals, promises to give us. Another way of translating that Hebrew word Rapha is to restore. Yahweh Rapha, the God who restores us, who makes us whole again. In the Bible, most accounts of healing miracles were those who were performed by Jesus. Miracles of healing were relatively uncommon in the Old Testament. Only eight were recorded, in contrast to the numerous miracles of nature and provision and preservation that have been told in the Old Testament, like the one that we've read about today. But in contrast, approximately a fifth of the Gospels are taken up with Jesus' healing miracles. And I'd like to explore just one today, the account of Jesus cleansing ten men of their leprosy, because it illustrates the different types of healing that I've been talking about. Jesus cured ten men. He miraculously removed the signs and symptoms of their skin disease. They went and showed themselves to the priests, who at that time had the role of public health officials, and they could declare a person to be officially cured from a disease. And so they, they were officially cured of leprosy. Yet only one of the ten 
came back to Jesus. Luke recalls that the man, praising God in a loud voice, threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Now, lepers suffer from social isolation in order to prevent the transmission of the disease. And leprosy, therefore, led to all sorts of sort of psychological, social and um, consequences, as well as the physical ones, that they were isolated. Jesus' physical cure of their leprosy had the potential to bring further benefits, the psychological, social benefits um, of being integrated back into society. But only one man came back to Jesus. Only he fully realized the spiritual benefit as he praised God for his healing. Only he was fully healed. And I think this example of the sort of nine cured, one healed, points us towards the greater goal of spiritual wholeness. One that tends to be largely ignored in our secular world. Our physical bodies will eventually fail all of us. So I've become more acutely aware of that the older I've become. Uh, in fact, I, I made a pact with a few friends not very long ago that we won't talk about our various ailments when we meet up. <laughs> Which brings me to something else that tends to get ignored in our secular world, the eternal perspectives to our lives. God offers a deeper healing here, the eternal healing that comes from within, that transforms our frail bodies, even though outwardly we're wasting away, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Our ultimate healing is arguably in death, because it's the healing of eternal life in God's nearer presence. But that's a topic for a whole other sermon. Our God is a God who heals in the here and now as well as in eternity. Yahweh Rapha, I am the God who heals you body, mind and spirit. Personally, I love the definition of healing made by Bishop Moritz Maddox. He's the one-time Archbishop's advisor on health and healing, and uh, he's the founder of Acorn Christian Healing Trust, um, which is in Hampshire, not too far from us. And he said, healing is the difference made by Jesus when he meets us at our point of need. I'll say that again. Healing is the difference made by Jesus when he meets us at our point of need. So how do we receive the healing that the Lord promises us? I think there's one clue in the scripture reading that we've had today. In verse 26, God is asking his people to remain faithful to him, to listen and pay attention to his voice, because he is the God who longs to heal. He's essentially asking us to follow him. I think we've got to be a bit careful about the flip side of this. God doesn't punish us with sickness if we do disobey him. I think the story of Job is at pains to point that out. Um, the, it dwells on the mystery of the suffering of Job, who was an upright and a good man. And Jesus himself, when they brought him a sick man to be healed and was asked the question, 
who has sinned, this man or his father, that was a popular sort of theology of the day, if you like, he debunked that prevalent idea that the man was sick because he was a sinner. No, I think this verse is more about following God and listening to his voice. His healing is available to all. We need only ask. I'd like to end on a personal story. Many years ago, David was hospitalized for several weeks with severe back pain, such that he couldn't walk. And no one could get to the root of the problem. And I mean, it was way a long time ago. Modern medical imaging resources just weren't available then. He was stuck in hospital. He wasn't improving. And life was pretty fraught for both of us, because David had just started a new job. And we, or rather I, moved house in the middle of all this. And at the church where we then attended, there was an invitation in a service to go and receive prayer for healing, either for oneself or for another. And I had an inner conviction that God was inviting me to go and ask for healing on David's behalf. It really wasn't the sort of thing that um, I would normally have done at the time. That was on the Sunday. And the following day, his medical team decided to try a new procedure. It didn't result in instant physical cure, but from that point, David made steady progress such that he was able to leave hospital around a week later, and he subsequently made a complete recovery. Now, I believe that God demonstrated his healing power to us on that Sunday evening. He worked through the medical team, looking after David, giving them fresh insight into the possible causes of his problem and finding a solution. But perhaps even more significant to our subsequent lives was the renewed faith and trust in God that David's recovery brought us, something that has lasted to this day. Our experience of God's healing power went beyond physical cure. It included restoration and wholeness and a deeper relationship with God. Yahweh Rapha, I am the Lord who heals you. We only need to ask him. We've got the opportunity later in the service to come and receive a prayer for healing if we wish. Asking God to bring us wholeness of body, mind and spirit. The words of the prayer are printed on your service sheet. So whatever the shape of your personal journey, Thames path, coastal path, or even roller coaster. In the words of Bishop Morris Maddox, whom I quoted earlier, come and ask Jesus to meet you at your own personal point of need with his healing touch. Come and meet with Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals. Yahweh Shalom, the Lord who gives peace and receive his healing touch. Amen.